0: This week we're talking about walk the line purity and that's a great song leading into this uh, into this message of of what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus we're talking about walking the line in purity and those of you that that have been around church for a little bit and you hear the word purity you're like oh great this is true love waits week Oh, great, we're going to be exchanging rings and and everything. And the adults are like, I'll check out because, you know, true love has waited or whatever. And, you know, and we're like, ah, true love waits only for the teenagers. and True love waits for the adults as well. But, you know, we just can't check out on Purity Sunday. But but purity is more than just sex. And some of you are like, if you haven't been in in a church long and you're like, true love waits for what? You're like, now, like, true love waits for sex? Like, no, 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 we'll just... We'll roll on from that and we'll just we'll just pass through that and and, uh, and you can ask somebody afterwards if you don't don't know what true love weights is. But but it's more than just sex. Purity is spotlessness. If you buy bottled water, you expect it to be pure. You don't you don't see you know Joe back in the back room, you know, filling up the bottles with, with tap water. If you buy a bottled water your image of this bottled water and how it got into the bottle is some dude up in Colorado like wading a stream and he's got all the bottles in there and, and he's filling it up. Like that's our image of pure bottled water, right? And if we're paying five bucks for water, somebody better be in Fiji. <laughs> filling it up. We expect it to be Pure. We expect it to be spotless. We expect it to be clean. Purity is a spotless, clean life. Way back ten weeks ago, when we talked about our identity and being blessed, where our, our identity is blessed, we read this verse, Ephesians 1.4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Other translations would, would say even before uh, God, God created the world, he, he made us spotless. He chose us to be spotless and blameless in his eyes. Spotless and blameless simply means pure. God is the purest of all pure. He is clean. He is completely spotless. And he makes us that way. And those of you that might be just checking out this church thing, and it might be non-fan of God or of church, but you're just here, and you're like, me being spotless, I mean, that's just, that's crazy. I can't imagine being spotless, especially when we have the standard of God involved in this. But even those of us that have been Christians, be like, well, I know what God says, I know what Paul wrote here, but, man, I don't feel spotless. I don't know, I always act spotless. Anybody here always act spotless? Anybody? Anybody? Show of hands? I mean, this is all play here. Anybody? Anybody? Good. We don't have any liars here among us. That's, that's good. That's good to know. Especially since we're in church, you know. We don't want to lie in church. But how does it look to have a life that's spotless when we're not exactly... Spotless. In this series, Walk the Line, we're taking a metaphor of of this journey that we're on, the journey of identity. And just kind of the car and the racing and the vacation. We don't really take a cliche from the NASCAR playbook. The biggest cliche that you hear in NASCAR is... Rubbin's racing, right? Rubbin's racing. And as we're racing through this life, as we're going through this life, we're going to get bumps, we're going to bump others. It's, it's sometimes a demolition derby in this life as we go through this life. We get bumped and we get bruised and we get, we get, we get, we get uh, holes and we get dents and we get dings. And when we're impure, we do that to ourselves. So how do we get repaired? How do we become spotless? How do we remain spotless? How are we we repaired in this journey? Because we've been talking about going from the scrap heap to the winter circle and how Jesus gets us there. But as we go in this life, we get bumped and we get bruised and we get holes and we get messed up. So how is God going to repair us? this is what Paul is talking about and those of you that, that follow along with the U Version app or see the verses in the U Version app you're like, holy cow I know Jared's about ready to have a heart attack over here because you're like, how am I going to get through this? we're going to race through a bunch of verses but here's what I want us to see I want us to see how our purity is tied to our, our identity See, also what happens with the purity sermon is that we think all external, we just think action oriented. We just buck up and become pure. But our purity is, is directly tied to our identity. And this is what Paul does. Ephesians four seventeen. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. I'm gonna throw the verses up there on the screen, but if you have the U app with a smartphone or a tablet, I highly recommend it. But you can follow along with the live event with that. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. You're like, holy cow, especially if you're you're a non-fan, just checking this church thing out. You're like, holy cow, this dude that's writing this, he's kind of mean, isn't he? Well, Paul can be direct. Paul can be incredibly direct. But a lot of times this section of verses can be used to attack those outside the church. And Paul here isn't trying to attack those outside the church. He is just comparing the life of those inside the church to the life that they used to have in the life of people outside the church. So if you're not a non-fan of God, if, you're, if you struggle with this whole God thing, you're like, holy cow, that's incredibly direct of him to say these sorts of things you say the same thing as well. You say the same thing that Paul is getting at as well. See, what Paul is getting at is that, he's like, hey guys, 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 those of us inside the church, those of us that claim Christ as our personal savior, shouldn't our lives be different? Shouldn't our lives be different? So those of you that are outside the church, a lot of times you're outside the church because you look into the church and go, your life is no different those outside the church so why on earth should i get up early on sundays i can sleep in and act the same that's win-win for me and so those of you that are maybe outside the church and struggle with jesus and god and this whole thing you say the same thing as paul you're going your life should be different And when it's not you're like there's something wrong with that And so all Paul is doing is comparing the life of those of people who are inside the church to those who are still outside the church and comparing our former way of life with our current way of life. Paul keeps going. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. That's not what you learned. When you came inside the church, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, when you took on God's identity as a saint, this isn't what you learned. You've changed. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Put on your new nature, created, be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul is using a clothing metaphor, which is a metaphor used all throughout the Bible for this idea of purity and righteousness and holiness, that we are taking off our old nature and we're putting on a new nature. Basically, Paul is saying, put on your Jesus clothes. In our metaphor, in our metaphor of journey and cars, when our car gets beat up, which all of our cars do, All of our bodies do. We do not live perfect lives. And sin beats us up. When we have holes and when we have dents, and those of you that work on cars, what do you do when you have a hole or a dent in your car? You put on a paste called bondo, right? You smooth it out. Put on this paste. Here's what Paul is telling us. Take Jesus as as your bondo. Put it in the hole. Put him in the dent. Where we are imperfect, which is pretty much everywhere, put him in. Put on Christ. Smooth it over so that the dent is gone. Smooth it over. Put on Christ. Put on the new self. Because that is our identity. You hear the identity coming out of this? This is our new self. This is who God is creating as saints, as people who are faithful followers, as God is making a saint. He has given us a new self. And so, just like our clothing, just looking across the room, it does not look like any of you made your clothing this morning. You sewed it together. Lori? Lori? No? Okay. Most of us, some dude in China made it, And we walked into our closet and we picked it up, picked it out and put it on. We cannot claim any work for that. Desmond's checking to make sure I'm right, but we cannot just don't take it off. That's all I ask. We cannot claim any superiority for putting on our clothes. In fact, most of us say just thank you. Thank you for putting on clothes. I don't really care what it is. Thank you. We cannot claim any superiority for just putting on clothes. And that's what Christ has done. Here's the clothes that I want you to wear. Just put it on. There's intentionality to it, but we cannot claim any work behind it because we did not create the clothes. And so we're putting on Jesus. We're putting on the new self. We're filling in Jesus into the holes that we've created by being impure. And what does that look like? Stop telling lies. Taylor, you told a lie this morning. You said it wasn't your handwriting. Perfect, perfect sermon illustration. Thank you for playing into my hands this morning, Taylor. Thank you very much. Stop telling lies. Tell, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. As people who are saints, we should not tell lies. We should be honest. People should be able to look at us and whatever we say, they should be able to trust whatever we say. When we were up in New York, I was around uh, a group of, of guys, a group of dads, and uh, one guy had used to live in Fort Worth, and he lived for a Christian. He was like, "I couldn't trust, I couldn't trust anything of what that guy said." Now he wasn't, he didn't, he, he didn't not go to church simply because of this one guy, but it certainly didn't help this boss that he had he, that was a Christian that claimed to know Christ, he couldn't trust him. He kept lying to him. And when we're in these situations, especially when, when, when we could look bad, when we've messed up and we could look bad, are we willing to skirt the truth a little bit in order to make ourselves look a little bit better? Or can people trust what we say? Can people trust what we say? Can people trust what you say? Can people trust what I say? I mean, I think all of us should should be able to agree that people who follow God, we should be able to trust what they say. I think we should all, all be able to agree to that. Even if you don't believe in God, You'd probably sit there and go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." If you believe in God, you should be able to trust what you say. And as we put on Christ, we put on trustworthiness. Then, and don't let sin and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun, sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Like don't don't let your anger fester. You know, this whole don't let your sun go down on your anger type of thing. You know, this doesn't mean we, we get to 8 o'clock at night and you're like, oh no, I got angry at this guy today and I got to call. And it's a call. It's, it's, a, it's a principle. And the thought behind the principle is that we don't let it fester. We don't let our anger fester. And Paul isn't telling us to not get angry either. We don't let our anger fester. Because when our anger festers, it gets infected, and it gets pussy, and it just, just, it just looks bad. When pus starts oozing out, it, it's just a bad day. Anger festers. But you don't know what they did to me. I'll guarantee whatever they did was less than what happened to Paul and less than what happened to Jesus. And they both taught the same thing. Don't let your anger fester. So last week, I, I took on a or a few weeks ago, I took on a new job at Lake Country across town. Um, and I was frustrated. I got upset with uh, a guy that works for me. And we dealt with it and we moved on. Don't let the anger fester and get infected. And shouldn't we agree that people that are pure, people that are saints, people that are following God, shouldn't we agree that we shouldn't be angry people? That by the characteristic of our life, somebody, you know, wouldn't be able to say, man, that is just an angry person. I think we should be able to all agree to that. What else? What else does it look like to put on Christ? If you're a thief, quit stealing. Now, for those of us that think, oh, I'm not a kleptomaniac, I'm good. Hold on, hold on, just, hold on, we'll get to you. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul goes into more detail on what he means by, you know, do good hard work. Basically, what he is getting at isn't just the kleptos. Now, you know, we shouldn't just, you know, five-finger discount somebody either. But, when we clock in, are we doing good, honest work? When we show up to work and get paid, are we doing good, honest work? Are we stealing? We hear also of employers that talk about Christians who... Just think, because they're a Christian, they can just, you know, mail it in. And you can't do anything to me because I'm a Christian. A stealing. A stealing. So when we show up, are we mailing it in? Are we doing good, honest work? Nathan, that's bad news for you. Your boss is in this sermon, too. (laughs) You know, for the rest of us, at least, our bosses aren't here. (laughs) So when you take the carts out, like, hiding behind cars, taking a nap, you know, that sort of thing. Sorry, too much sun this weekend, got to keep the lips chapped, because... Or unchapter, however that works. Are we doing good, honest work when we show up? And it, it, while it's important for the adults, the students, people can expect you to mail it in if you show up to work. It's kind of the expected status quo. So blow them away. Blow them away. Pure people don't steal. Pure people don't steal. Which includes doing a good, honest work and giving to those in need. But Paul continues. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear, hear them. Those of you that were in the second service last week, <clears throat> or heard the podcast found out that our worship leader used to be a potty mouth I'm like what is he talking about just listen to the podcast you figured out But well, last week but he's gotten over that I think from everything I can tell are the words that we that come out of our mouth are they building up or are they tearing down now, what Paul isn't doing here is he isn't giving us a list of words that are foul and abusive. He isn't, he isn't telling us this is the good list, this is the bad list. In fact, some of what Paul wrote was actually maybe quite crude to our churches today. Taylor, you just set me up, man. You're talking about crudeness and then you lied yourself. I mean, you just set me up all day today. So it's awesome. You're, you're awesome. But see, Paul wrote in Philippians, like, all of my past, all the good things that I accomplished, most translations would say rubbish. However, really what it is, is human excrement, human feces. That's that word rubbish. However, he used the strongest word for that word. And Paul, also in Galatians, when he's talking about how some people think circumcision adds to our salvation and makes us more saved, that in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. When he's talking about those guys... Paul gets to the point where he says, those guys that think that, 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 that circumcision adds to our salvation, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, I wish they would just go off and cut the whole thing off. Some of you are like, that's in the Bible, that's in the Bible. And hey, whatever it takes to get you to read the Bible, Galatians, go home, read it today. Jesus himself used an illustration. About human waste. Isaiah in the Old Testament used an illustration about minstrel cloths. My whole point is, is that Paul's not setting out a list of these are the good words, these are the bad words. See, I can be foul and abusive, but never use the bad word list. I'm tearing you down. And I'm being foul and abusive. But I never use a bad word list, so I'm all good. See, pure people build people up, not tear people down with their words. Pure people don't try and fit in with the run of words that they use. We all want to fit in, right? We all have that natural desire. And usually when it comes to crude language, It's usually what it comes down to is us trying to fit in. On Friday night, we had a referee meeting for the upcoming tournament that's occurring currently. Um, And then a bunch of the referees went to Old Chicago um, to watch the U.S. game. And while I'm there drinking my root beer everybody else is drinking beer and crude language and and, and some of them getting drunk and etc my goal in that situation is to be among them and to show them a different life show them what it looks like not out of ha ha look at me but out of look we're all messed up I've messed myself up. But Christ is the one that makes me pure. Christ is the one that fills me and covers the damage. So that when they realize at some point in time that what they're doing is damaging, they're seeking out something different. I can't believe our pastor went there. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard because of the places he went. The places we go do not define us. Places we go do not define us. We have to be wise, but we also need to live out a life of purity in front of Others to be there and live a different life to show that there is a different possibility to life. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Other translations would say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And I don't think this is another bullet point that Paul is getting at. I think that Paul is just saying, any of this stuff that we do, because we have the identity of being God's own, any of this stuff that we do grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes God cry. Like, like, like Paul is playing the feel sorry for God card. <laughs> like, You're breaking God's heart. You're making Him cry. You're grieving Him. Like as, as, as parents, we've never played that card, right? You so disappointed me, my son. We've never played that card, have we? That's what God's doing. He's playing the you've grieved me card. When you say you have your, my identity and you belong to me, but you don't live pure lives. You grieve me because I've given you everything you need to live a pure life. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, instead be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. As pure people, as people who have taken on Christ, we are kind and forgiving. We're kind and forgiving. But we know that putting on bondo isn't enough, right? I mean, we've seen those cars driving down the highway. We're like, you're not done yet. You have more to do. And what is that? We have to paint over it. We have to paint over the bondo. So what's our paint? What's our spiritual paint? Ephesians 5, one. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Our paint is the imitation of God, of the imitation of the Father. So it kind of feels good and sounds good to say put on Christ, but it, you know when we kind of sit down and think about it, you know, like I don't walk into my closet and I have the Jesus wardrobe. You know, so how do I put on Christ? Paul further explains it by just saying, imitate the Father. Imitate the Father. Ephesians 5 1 is one of my favorite verses because it's just like, imitate the Father. Today, imitate the Father. It doesn't matter what you've done yesterday. Today, imitate the Father. The best that you know how, imitate the Father. As dearly beloved children. Again, Paul is going back to our identity as dearly beloved children because Paul said in Ephesians 1 we are God's chosen child. We are adopted. We have the identity of being a son or a daughter of God. As dearly beloved children imitate our father. A lot is said about Jesus saying, you know, it's the faith of a little child. It's the faith of a little child. It's the faith of a little child. I got it one day. I got it. I was leaning up against the wall. And Elijah, about three years old, came up and tried to imitate exactly how I was leaning against the wall. I got it, what Jesus meant the faith of a little child tries to imitate their father right tries to imitate the father his little children imitate your father that's her pain that's what covers up everything imitate the father How do we imitate the Father? We imitate the Father through our love. Through our love. There was Ephesians 2. Through our love. Love. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. That is our standard. We talked about last week that, that Christ is our standard of maturity. And now as we are looking at purity, the relationship to maturity and purity is the purity is the visible aspect of our maturity. When we compliment somebody on their maturity, we better not be talking about physical aspects that either gets us slapped or in jail. One of the two. Hey, look, your body's so mature. What Right. when we're talking about maturity when we're complimenting somebody on maturity we're talking about an inner maturity and how does that come out? it comes out through purity it comes out through purity and Christ is our standard so we imitate the Father through our love and he's going to talk about three different sins that are crimes of passion that we get mixed up with what really love is let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Three crimes of passion. One is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Ladies this is this is where the dude's trying to say you know if you love me if you love me it's code word for can you get in my pants this is how you respond if you love me you would care about my purity if you love me you would care about my purity because love is not sexual immorality Love is sexual arousal between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. These are crimes of passion. But we associate love with it, right? I mean, we even use the word, right? Make love. It's not love. It's a crime of passion. It's a sin of passion which means we have no self-control. We do whatever feels good. And come on now, let's be honest. When our heart gets racing that way, it's going to feel good. The self-control says love sacrifices for the other person. And I'm not going to taint the other person. The second crime or sin of passion that Paul talks about here is the degrading of others. The obscene stories, foolish talks, coarse jokes. See, when we joke and we talk in this way, we're doing one of two things. We're we're either trying to be superior over somebody, demean them, we're talking coarsely in order to demean them or we're telling a joke about them in order to demean them and show our superiority over them or our heart just desires to fit in like I already talked about. And we're going to talk coarsely and joke coarsely and have obscene obscenity just in order to fit in. Again, a, a sin of passion, a sin of our heart. And we feel like Oh, I'm just loving these people, and we're just fitting in and we're bonding. But love is to live a life differently and show them a life that's different. And the last sin of passion, last crime of passion, is greed. Where our heart desires something that somebody else has, and we covet that and we chase after it. Greed is lust. Greed is lust. Lust doesn't just have to be after somebody's body, it can be after somebody's car. It can be after somebody's home. It can be after somebody's shoes. It can be after somebody's possessions. Greed is a crime of the heart. It is not love to be greedy. It's not love to be greedy. I think that we could all agree. Those of you that are in the church, those of you that are in with God, and those of you that are not fans of God, we probably all agree that, that saints shouldn't be sexually immoral. I mean, that might be why you're not in the church. Well, the deacons of that church, I heard, the leadership of that church can't keep their pants on. That might be why you're not in the church today. Let's be honest, let's be real. We all probably should agree that that, that, that Christians shouldn't degrade one another in order to be superior over them. We probably should all agree that saints of God, faithful followers of Jesus shouldn't be greedy, that we should be content with what God has given us. That doesn't mean we don't make money. That doesn't mean we don't buy stuff. That just means we don't look at our neighbors and say, I want what you have, and I'm going to be greedy over that, and I'm going to let my heart determine what I buy. These are crimes of passion. These are crimes of lack of self-control. These are, these are sins of, of, of no self-control. We're just letting our heart rage and we just live out what our heart wants. But Paul's real. He knows that we deal with this every day. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. See, Paul's real that we're going to face this every day. He's like, man, there are going to be people that are going to fool you every day. There are going to be people that are going to be like, if you just love me, there are gonna be people that, that are gonna be greedy all around you. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna tempt you in order to be greedy. They're gonna be people that are gonna put down others and, and try and fit in and do that by coarse joking. And there, there's gonna be this around you every single day, but don't be fooled by it. Don't be fooled by it. Don't 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 play into that trap. Don't get caught up in that game. You're different. Your identity is as a son of Or a daughter of God. Imitate God. That's your identity. And another word about this bondo and this paint coming over us, it's not to hide our sin, to pretend like it never occurred. That's not biblical as well. Some of you, some of you have been, have been outside the church and, and have struggled with the church because, because you're like, you just hide your sin. You just cover it up and you pretend like it never has happened. This isn't what Paul is talking about. Paul isn't talking about hiding it or covering it up to pretend like it never happened. Paul is just saying, talk freely about it. That dent's there. But talk freely as well about the forgiveness and love of Christ, that he has come in to fill your life and paint over your life so that you are new again. See, Paul lived this way. He's like, I'm the chief of sinners. He was real about persecuting Christians. But what was he also real about? He was real that Christ came in, filled his life, covered his life, and now he's a new person. This isn't saying don't be real about our past. In fact, this is saying we can be hyper real about our past. Like Phil was about his potty mouth. Right? It See, it's much easier to talk about other people's sins. We can be real about our past. I can be real that I've messed up. I've got dents. I've banged myself up. Christ has filled me and made me spotless as well. And those of you that are struggling with this whole God thing, look, we're not asking you to behave like us. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to consider the identity that you have. And the identity that God offers through His Son. And as you begin to follow his son, as you begin to follow God, and today you decide to follow him, and today you decide, you know what? I would rather imitate God than imitate anybody else. So I'm going to follow him. That's that's what I want. And then all this other stuff flows from it. Flows from it see this is why this is why paul's talking about those that do these things do not inherit the kingdom of god like oh man i'm not perfect so what does that No, no 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 identity 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 the identity of god is going to have evidence of these things or the lack of evidence of some of these things the identity of god is going to be pure is there evidence of purity now the realness is are you faking the evidence of purity are you faking it as well But we all know that if we paint over something, that's not the final step. We have to buff it out. We have to make the paint pop. Paul says, don't participate in the things these people do. For once you are full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For light within you, and other translations say the fruit of the light is only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil attentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Some of us need to wake up. Some of us need to wake up to the darkness that's in our life. And as the light shines in, we need to wake up to where we are with the purity of God. And the buff, the thing that makes the, the paint pop, is the fruit of God. It's the fruit of God. It's the fruit of the light. The goodness and purity that is produced by living out the identity that we have. And this is what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to produce fruit, good and pure and right fruit. But we have to wake up. Some of us, as, as, as if we think back, those of you that were with us at Revive, as Andy said, some of us need to let God into rooms we haven't let Him into yet. That we've tried to keep dark because we don't even want to deal with it. That we need to wake up to the darkness that's even in our own life. Because until we let the light of God shine through our entire house, fruit can't be produced the way He wants to produce it. So how do we open up the dark rooms? It's called the key of repentance. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've kept this away from you I'm sorry I've walked down this path I'm sorry that I've made myself somebody that you have never intended me to be here's the room please shine your light in this room those of us that don't feel spotless that's the key those of us that don't feel pure that's the key to purity purity the key to purity isn't to fake purity the key to purity isn't making ourselves pure the key to purity is repentance before God so that he will make us spotless and pure either for the first time or again so the band place here's the challenge what room needs light what room needs light we bullet-pointed, listed several different things. Anywhere from sexual immorality to our mouths, to lying, stealing. What room needs light? Life and fruit won't be out of that room until we shine light on it. I'll be here if you want to pray with somebody talk with somebody Shelly's back there if you want to talk with her grab somebody that you trust to talk with and pray with but at the end of the day the challenge is what room needs to be opened to let light the light shine in let's pray Heavenly Father Lord I thank you for this time I thank you for the purity you give I just pray you will shine your light into our lives. Wake us up and let us see where you want to make us pure. It's your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead, stand with us. Sing and pray as the Lord leads.